Good morning, church. It is good to see you. Uh, it's especially really cool to have our junior high tribe in the house. Uh, you guys rock. You guys are awesome. That is so cool. And, you know, we are a church that uh, doesn't believe that students are, you know, the future of the church. They're the church now. And so, students, we are so glad you are here. We love you guys. Um, yeah, we love you. That's, that's cool. Hey, uh, let, me, let me open us up in, in some prayer because I feel like the question that I have for us to wrestle with this morning is so critical and it's so important. And, and it might be, might be the most important question that you ask yourself today. And, and, and this question might, the way you answer this, I think it's gonna change this week. It's gonna change this month. It's gonna change this year. It has the potential to change everything about your life depending on how you're going to answer this question. So let me pray and then we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, thank you for this moment where as a community, we, we gather together as a church, we, we gather together and we say, Jesus, we need you. Like we're totally 100% dependent on you. So God, as we look at your word and as we wrestle with some questions and some ideas this morning, I pray that you would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes and our ears and open our hearts. God, this morning, would you comfort us? Would you convict us? And would you compel us that we might be different people because we've gathered? In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so here's the question. What's the best investment you can make? What's the absolute best investment you can make? Because here's what I can almost guarantee about your life right now. You are maybe potentially at the busiest time of your entire life. That with work and with family and with school and with opportunities and and careers and and you're, you're probably at the busiest time of your life. And maybe you're not at the busiest time of your life, but you may be in a, in a, in a serious time of transition. Or maybe you're coming from the last 20, 30, 40 years of doing this thing and all of a sudden you find yourself in a brand new place. And the question you need to wrestle with, the question we need to wrestle with this morning is what is the best investment of your time? And if you're a junior high student or, or you're retired or you're just beginning a career or just beginning a family or, or you're halfway through that season, whatever it may be, this question applies to you. And the question is, what is the best investment of your time and your energy and your resources and all that you are? What is that best investment? To help us answer that question, we got to start out with some, some two truth statements that I know is true of every single person here. And it's this. You were created for community and you were gifted for community. Another way of saying that is for the rest of your life, you're going to be surrounded by people. You're going to be surrounded by people. And that was not God's accident. In fact, that was God's intention. That God planned and intended that you would be surrounded by people for the rest of your life. But not only are you just like stuck to the guy next to you in the cubicle. Or, you know, you're sitting in the seat next to you at class or at the locker room or at work or in your family. Maybe you're married to someone. You're like, how did this happen? Well, it's no accident. You're with that person. You're in relationship with those people. Because God hardwired you for community. And he didn't just hardwire you for community, but he gifted you for community. You see, that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is all about, which is the backdrop for what we're going to talk about in 1 Corinthians 13. In in chapter 12, Paul makes it crystal clear that every single person has gifts and passions 
and talents and skills. And that in the body of Christ, in the family of God, that we are given spiritual gifts that we are able to use, that we are able to leverage so that everyone here would be benefited because of it. And then Paul goes on to say that you were not only gifted for community, but you were actually created for it, that we are like a body. That there's no such thing as a severed arm that kind of does Christianity or, or tries to follow Christ on their own, that we were intended to be connected like a body. And you know, scientists are just now catching up to what the scriptures have always talked about. National Geographic did a study recently, a few years ago actually, where they, where they were, they were kind of checking out teenagers' brains and the things they were looking for as they were monitoring these teenagers' brains is they were wondering, what does a teenager feel? How important is a sense of acceptance, love, belonging in a teenager's mind? And what they found is not only true for students, but it's true for all of us. The study revealed that teenagers' brains, when they had conversations about belonging, when when they felt a sense of rejection, when they had conversations about being connected and and having a home and and a place to call their own, that those same synapses that were firing during those conversations, when they were specifically asked, do you ever feel rejected? Do you ever feel like you don't belong? Do you ever feel like you're left out? That those same synapses were fine. Those same feelings that students were having during those conversations were the exact same feelings that they were having when asked questions about their own survival. When asked what it would look like if they didn't have anything to eat or they didn't have a place to lay their head. And so the next time you're around a teenager, right? And all of a sudden they see all their friends on Instagram like jumping at the same time in this picture and they realize they're at home eating popcorn, watching Netflix and they don't, they're not at this party. Give them a little break when they, when they like freak out and they have that moment where they feel like the world is caving in because all of us feel that at some sense because we were hardwired for community. And so with those two truths, with the understanding that we were gifted for community, that we are hardwired for it, at a neurological level, maybe I can challenge you this way, and I think Pastor, Glenn will appreci- or Pastor Greg will appreciate this. You are neurologically wired for rooted. You are neurologically wired to be a part of rooted or some kind of small group or some kind of life group that you were literally created for community. And so understanding that about yourself is gonna help us answer the question, what is the best investment that you can make. Paul in chapter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he begins with some very typical ways that we invest our time and our energy. And I think one of these is gonna relate to every single one of us in this room. This is how, as people, we naturally invest our time. And what Paul's gonna get to is that these are worthless on their own, that there is a greater investment you can make. You can find me in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse one. Paul says this, if I speak in human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. The first kind of typical investment we make is we say, I'm gonna be the best communicator. I'm, I'm going to be the best speaker. I'm gonna, whether I'm a lawyer or I'm a motivational speaker or I'm a salesman or whatever it may be, I'm going to do the very best. My sole investment, all my energy and my time is going to go into how I communicate. And then Paul says this, if that is your sole investment, but you don't have love, you are like clanging cymbals. Can you imagine with me for a second? Let's say Pastor Jay gets up here to lead worship and he's got his guitars right here and he goes, we're gonna forego those today and he brings out this giant, these two cymbals, right? And he's like, 
All right, how great thou art. Here we go. Boom, boom, boom. And he starts clanging them together. What would we do? We would say, that's ridiculous, Jay. You're fired, right? Like we'd be like, Jay, that ain't gonna fly here. That's not worship. And in the same way, communicating, communicating, articulating yourself, making a living based on your speech, being, being perfect at arguing your point. If there's no love behind it, you're like Pastor Jay on a Sunday morning, just clanging those symbols together. It's absolutely worthless. Second investment that we oftentimes make is this. I, if, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. He gives us two here. He says the, the next investment that a lot of people make is into their brains is into being the smartest person in the room, to knowing every single historical detail, to saying, I want to fully understand this specific detail or art or science or whatever it may be. And what Paul says, if you are the smartest person in this room, but you don't have love, your brain is worthless. And then he cuts into some of us who have been following Christ for a little while. And he says, if you have faith to like move mountains, and you consider yourself super spiritual, and you've memorized Leviticus, and you know Hebrew, and you know all these fancy terms, and and you've taken rooted six times, and, and you've done this and that, but you don't have love. All that is worthless. And then Paul gives our final typical investment that he wants us to avoid when he says this. If I give all I possess to the poor, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain Nothing. See what Paul is saying is you could be the best at doing the right thing. Maybe some of you, you you show up here to church and you're like, man, I I thought only thing God is concerned with is that I do good things. That that's ultimately what's going to get me into a relationship with God. And, And Paul wants to make it crystal clear to all of us that it is not about our good deeds. That in fact, you could be like the most generous person. But if you don't have love, then you are nothing. And you know why? Here's why. Because love does not produce self-centeredness, but every other investment will if it's not empowered by love. Did you guess that? The, loving people, being a loving person, focusing your time and your investment and your energy into love is the best investment you can make. Every other investment will ultimately become about you if it's not first and foremost, empowered by love. You see, the sum of your life will not be how much you accomplished. It will be how well you loved, right? Have you ever met anybody on their, dead, on their deathbed who like is, is laying there and they're, they're in their final moments or you know, they're, they're in their final breaths or whatever? Like, have you ever heard anybody say, I just wish I sent one more email? No, nobody says that. Nobody says, oh, on their deathbed, right? Nobody's laying there going, if I had only balanced that budget. No, nobody's saying those things. People are looking at their life. They're looking at the relationships that they had. They're looking at the love that they experienced from God and the love that they shared. And that's what's significant. That's what's empowering 
That's what's powerful. That's, that's what you were created for. And so kind of our tagline this morning, if you take one thing away, it's this. If your life is not fueled by love, then you are running on fumes. If your life is not fueled by love, then you are running on fumes and your life story will be one big, it's all about me. But if your life is fueled by love, the unimaginable is possible. The world changing is possible. And we're gonna explore that together. With Charlie, um, Charlie's my three-year-old son. And I have a year and a half old Brinley and then a three-year-old Charlie. And we're beginning to have conversations with Charlie about the importance of not just doing the right thing, but doing the right thing with the right heart. Maybe some of you parents have been there before or you're there with me right now or, or you're starting to talk to your little ones about what does it look like to not just do the right things, but to have the right heart, to have the right attitude behind it. And you see, that's what Paul is up to here. We were at a wedding uh, a few weeks ago, my sister's wedding. And I got to officiate the wedding and uh, Sarah, my wife, was in the wedding and Charlie and Brinley were, were walking down the aisle. Charlie was the ring bearer and Brinley was the flower girl and, and Charlie was holding uh, the little bed of flowers for her. And during the rehearsal, during the rehearsal, as we were walking down the aisle, obviously no one was there, but the chairs were set up. Charlie, at one point, he was like kind of in a bad mood. Maybe your kid's getting these. Um, he's, he's holding the, uh, the little bed of flowers thing. And, and, and as he's walking, he just literally chucks it to the side. And I'm thinking, somebody might die at this wedding. For reals, for reals. Somebody could actually die at this. That would be kind of traumatic and, and horrible. And so I'm just praying and hoping Sarah and I are like, man, I hope Charlie could just get down the aisle. You know what I mean? Like just get down the aisle. That'd be awesome. And so Charlie, like a total stud, he's just a champ, walks down the aisle, makes it through. It was amazing. And then it came time for pictures. Now pictures are like the most important part of the wedding because that's what you look at for decades and decades to come, right? Like you want the pictures to be absolutely perfect. Perfect. And so Charlie, at this point, he was kind of at the end of his rope, okay? Now, weddings are horrific for children because they're dressed in, you know, ungodly, uncomfortable clothing, and they're forced to do, walk down the aisles and do all this stuff and smile. It's just, it's just awful for kids, right? But, but for Charlie especially, like, he's just a very strong-spirited kid. And so it gets to this point in the pictures where it's time for our family to come up. These are going to be the pictures we look at for decades. You know what I mean? Like, these really, really, really matter. And Charlie just decides he has, he wants none of it. Like he wants to get out of here as quick as possible. And so he's, I'm holding him for some of them and he is crying. He is screaming. Everyone at the wedding is looking and people are doing that like judgment, like, oh, oh, you don't have control of your kids. You know what I mean? I'm like, you don't have control of your kids half the time either. You know what I mean? And so I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out there and I'm, I'm, I'm holding them. And I'm like, come on, Charlie. These are really important. These pictures are really, really important. And, and I remember, I'm just going to confess because you guys have done this too. So I'm, I'm, I, at one point, I'm, I'm talking with Charlie and I kind of pull him aside and I go, if you ever want to eat another ice cream cone, you will smile for this picture right now. You will smile, right? He, at one point, he was holding this little helicopter that, that his uh, pops had just given him. And I looked at it and I said, you want me to break that? You will smile for these pictures. And so he gets up there. He gets up there and I'm holding him and he kind of smiles a little bit. And, but you can just tell, right? You can just tell when you've seen those pictures where you go, that guy is definitely not happy to be there, you know? Or that kid is not stoked on what's happening right now. Like it was just crystal clear because it's not just about doing the right thing. It's not just about smiling for the pictures. It's about the heart behind it. So what Paul 
wants to help us understand here is what does it look like to have our life fueled by love? And it's not some kind of emotional or touchy-feely or kind of vague idea. Paul wants to give us some very clear descriptors of what it looks like to actually love. And so what we're going to see is he's going to unpack for us eight descriptions of what love is, eight descriptions of what love is not. And intertwined in all that, I want us to walk away with three applications. That as we're reading this, we are going to have a better understanding of how Christ has loved us. How God has loved each one of you. Maybe some of you are at church for the very first time. And what you need to hear is that these descriptions are a description of how the God of the universe specifically loves you. Then the second second application is how do we love one another? How do we be a church that as people look at us, they see that we're full of love, like real true love. And then we'd be hypocrites to think if it didn't apply to the larger world. And so when you're in your neighborhoods, at your jobs, in your families, wherever you find yourself, what does it look like to love? What does it look like to invest in love? This is how, this is how we're going to get into it. Um, find me in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. If I speak in human, oh no, <laughs> verse 4, sorry. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love is kind. All week I've been wrestling with this question. Why would Paul begin with patience and kindness? If he's going to describe love, like, like this, kind of, this kind of love here, the, the word that's used here, the Greek word is agape. It's the same kind of love that's used in John 3, 16, when it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It's the same kind of love that's used in, in Matthew chapter 22, where, where Jesus says, the greatest commandment of all 613 that the Jews at that time believed in, of all those 613, the most important thing is to love God and love neighbors. It's the same kind of love. Or in Paul in Romans chapter 13, verse 8 says, let no debt remain except the debt to love one another. It's that kind of love. So why would Paul begin with love is patient and love is kind? And, and here's why I feel. He started that way. Because love is first and foremost a choice. Love is not a feeling. Love is not something that you wake up and you say, well, I'm going to see how I feel about this person. Or I'm going to see what they can do for me. Love first and foremost is a choice. You see, Jesus got up on a cross as a, he made a choice to die for us. God made a choice to be in a relationship with us. And of course he has feelings for us. That's clear throughout scripture. But the feelings come as a response to this choice to love his people. And so we have to understand that just like patience and kindness is a choice, so love is a choice. You see, patience is something you can choose when somebody's on your last nerve. When that person you work with or that roommate you have, or that, that friend, or maybe for even you and your spouse, maybe there's, there's times where that person just is bothering you for whatever reason. And, 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 and you at that moment, you can make a choice to be patient. You see, we live in a world, you watch the news right now, you see a lot of impatient people. You see a lot of people who are just waiting for the other person to finish their words so they can rebuttal them. 
You, you listen to people constantly interrupting, constantly wanting to be the center of attention, constantly wanting to be heard. That's the world that we live in. But God wants to tell us through this letter, first thing we got to understand about love is it's about patience. You see, if, if you're not willing to listen, then you're not able to love. You can't love somebody and interrupt them. You have to be patient. And then this other idea of kindness. I don't know about you, but something I'm learning in marriage, I've been married six years now, something I'm learning in marriage is that it's not just about what you say. Maybe some of the, in the last service, some of the men gave me a hearty amen, so we'll see how you guys do, but here we go. Love, or, or uh, something I'm learning about marriage. It's not just about what you say, it's actually about how you say it. There we go. Maybe some of the ladies this time. It's not just about what you say. It's actually about how you say it. And I want to confess to you, I'm not always the most patient and kind person with Sarah. There are times, and after reading this week, I was almost like, God, do I have to preach on this? I suck at this. <laughs> I'm not the best at this at all. But he's reminding me, you know, the cool thing about patience or kindness, you don't have to wait for that feeling to stir up in you. You can choose it. You can absolutely choose it. Let's go to the next. These are actually a few statements about what love is not. Paul says this. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Here's an easy way to remember what these three are. Envy is this. I want what you have. Okay, that's envy. I want what you have. You know what boasting is? Boasting is this. I want you to want what I have. Right? That's boasting. I want you to want what I have. And you know what pride is? Pride is this. I want you to know that I earned what I have. I want you to know that I earned what I have. You know what all three of those have in common? They focus right back in on me. That if you're in relationships right now, where you're finding yourself so envious, where you're finding yourself, you're just constantly looking for opportunities to brag about yourself, to brag about your position, to brag about your accomplishments, and you're feeling so much pride about it, what that's going to end up happening is that's going to be folding on you, and all your investment and your energy will be on, how do I one-up the person next to me? How do I one-up the athlete that I'm racing against? How do I one-up the employee that I'm, that I'm trying to compete for the promotion with? How do I one-up my spouse? That kind of life is not a life of love. Because when you, because at that point you're a slave to yourself. And when you are a slave to yourself, you won't benefit anyone else. That was kind of cool how that rhymed. Uh, when you're a slave to yourself, you won't benefit anyone else. Some of you are leaders. Some of you are managers. Some of you have people that work for you, that work under you. Let me give you a little bit of encouragement and a little tip. A leader who wants all the glory will have a little bit of it, but they'll have it alone. If you're kind of leader, and this could be a Bible study leader, this could be you're, you're a CEO of a big corporation. If you want all the glory, if that's your investment, if that's your time and your energy is into getting all the glory, you'll have a little bit of it, but you'll be pretty alone. But if you're a leader, and I can't think of anyone better than our senior pastor, Glenn, if you're a leader who lifts others up, 
If you're a leader who is constantly applauding others' accomplishments, you will have an unforgettable impact. So here's my tips for you. I have two tips in this section. Who's the person in your life that you're most envious of right now? Who's that person that when you see them accomplish something, you're like, dang it, why didn't I beat them to it? Or you look at somebody and you go, man, I want what they have. Here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to authentically, and this is huge, authentically compliment and build them up. Authentically compliment and build that person up. Make it your sole goal that when you're around them, you're going to find something redemptive and powerful and amazing about them, and you're going to lift that up. And for those of you that are struggling with pride, and you, you feel like, man, I honestly just feel like all I have, I earned. I get that. I understand that. It's not true at all. And so here's what I want you to do. This week, I want you to think about your greatest accomplishment, the greatest success that you've ever had in your life. And I want you to thank God for all the people he surrounded you with to make that possible. And if you can't think of them, then you need to pray more. (laughs) You say, God, who are those people? Because you didn't accomplish any of it on your own. God gave you the breath that you're breathing. He gave you the skills and he surrounded you with people to help you make those kind of things possible. And what would be so loving is to go to those people and say, thank you. Show patience and kindness with them. The next list that Paul describes of what love is not is he says, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking and it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. These four, dishonoring, self-seeking, easily angered, and record-keeping, these are what I call the corroding cycle because they interplay with one another, because they ultimately work together for your destruction. They ultimately work together to actually rob you of joy because what they say is this. Those people who God created as image bearers are ultimately objects for you to use. And so you may, you may be surrounded by people and your first instinct is maybe they, they fail in something or maybe you're looking at something online and you immediately say, I, I, there, there's something in you that, that desires to dishonor them, that desires to, to remove them from their place as an image bearer of God to a place as an object. What I've seen happens as soon as you begin to dishonor people, you begin to become all about self. You're seeking your own glory. You're seeking your own gratification. You're seeking your own desires. And when you live that way, you will become somebody who is so easily angered, who has such a short temper. And finally, when people begin to hurt you or frustrate you, you will keep a long record of all the wrongs they've done. Because in doing that, it somehow justifies your anger and your self-seeking and you're dishonoring of people. Some of you right now, you, are, you wake up every morning and it's almost like a ritual. You just go through all the people in your life who have let you down, who have hurt you, who have wounded you. And all I know is that Christ can restore a corroding heart. Record keeping doesn't restore a corroding heart. Being easily angered, self-seeking, dishonoring people. That doesn't heal anything. That doesn't restore anything. But Christ, by his death on a cross and his resurrection, we have new life. And we don't have to continue to act this way because it's not only not loving. It's hurting everyone around you. Then Paul says, 
love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. See, love, love hates injustice. Love hates injustice and it fights against it. Love sees something wrong and is compelled to do something about it. Love does not delight in evil or in brokenness or in people's destruction. I have a question for you this morning that I think every single person needs to have an answer to, and it's this. What wrong are you living to make right? Everyone should have an answer to this. What wrong are you living to make right? You know, here we have amazing ministries. We have everyone free that's fighting against human trafficking. And some of you are a part of that. And you're living your life to make the wrong that is human trafficking right in Christ. Some of you are small group leaders. Some of you are investing in children's ministries. Some of you see other injustices around the world. Some of you go to school and you see that person next to you who is constantly picked on. Your life goal is you got to answer this question. What wrong are you living to make right? And then when you see something right, when you see something good, when you see something redemptive, something powerful, rejoice over it. Some of you have relationships with your kids, with your family, and there's years and years and years of them letting you down, of them doing the wrong thing. When you see them turn a corner, when you see something powerful and amazing in their lives, when you see them making a good choice, would we be the kind of people who love by rejoicing? Would we be the kind of people who would see the beauty in the world, to see the redemptive in the world, to see God working? Because literally, maybe, uh, this is news, but God is coming to earth one day. That Jesus is coming back. But until then, he has given us the mission and the opportunity of bringing heaven to earth. That he's going to ultimately do it finally. But his mission and his vision is that more of heaven would come to earth. And so when you see heavenly things here, let's be a kind of people who rejoice. And lastly, Paul gives us a list of what love is. He says, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. The single greatest act of love changed the world. When Jesus came, willingly died on a cross, this incredible act of love changed the world. And Jesus still has the power today to infuse that kind of love inside of you that it might change your world, that it might change you. So this week, in, in terms of your relationship with Christ, as you understand that Jesus held nothing back. You see, Jesus didn't take the easiest, quickest, cheapest way or the least sacrificial way to tell you he loved you. No, 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 Jesus went all in. Jesus held nothing back. So this week, in terms of your relationship with Christ, here's what I believe. Your life would be radically different next week. If this week... If just this week, you protected your time with Christ. That you said, when it comes to my time where I'm connecting with Jesus, this will be a priority this week. In fact, I'm going to guard against it because everything, every attack from the enemy will wage war against you connecting with your heavenly father. And so would you this week protect that time? Maybe for some of you, you need to trust again in Jesus. And you say, Jesus, I trust you with my identity. I trust you with my struggles. I trust you with everything that I am.
this week. Some of you need to put your hope in Christ. You're looking at your finances. You're looking at this child. You're looking at this health bill. You're looking at your own insecurities. And you're saying, God, I just don't have hope. That's okay to admit that. But this week, what if you said, God, I will hope in you. I will believe that you're up to something. I will believe that you'll have the final word over this. And so I will hope in you, Christ. What if you persevered this week? What if you got up when you weren't feeling it, when you were tired? You're you're, you're thinking about in terms of your relationship with Christ, what would it look like to persevere in that area? Lastly, always remembering that his love never fails. What a great thing to wake up to in the morning, just going, Jesus, your love never fails. Your love never fails. And so I will be fueled by that kind of love. But then I have a series of questions for you this morning. In terms of how you interact with others, in terms of how you interact with neighbors, your spouse, your family, your coworkers, the people at school. I want you to think through these questions. Who this week, who this week needs your protection? Who has God given you the ability to protect? Maybe this is a daughter of yours. Maybe this is a son, a spouse, the kid that sits next to you in class who is bullied. What would it look like this week to answer this question? Who needs your protection? How about this one? Who needs you to trust them again? I understand that for some of you, there, have, there has been a sever in your relationship. That something has happened that is so painful and so challenging. And everything in you says, don't trust again. Build up a wall. Focus in on me. Don't let anybody in. Since Christ has loved you fully, and since all your hope and purpose is found in him, what would it look like this week to say, I'm going to trust that person again? Not only am I going to trust them, but I'm going to believe in them. I'm going to choose to believe in them. That, that may require counseling. That may require other professional help. But what would it look like as, a, as an actual act of love to say, I'm going to choose to trust you? Or what about this question? Who needs you to keep hoping? Which, which child in your life or spouse or friend? Have you been praying for years and years and years that they would come to know Christ? And honestly, you can't think the last time you prayed for them. Or you see somebody, you pass by somebody on the road and, and it's a homeless person. Or it's somebody that, that, that you would look at and you would say, what's going on in their life? What would it look like this week to have hope in them? To pray for them? To say, I'm going to believe God wants to do something amazing in that person's life. And last question is this, who needs you to persevere this season? You may be roommates with your spouse. You may be enemies with your roommates. You and your best friend may have just had like a huge falling out. You found out about them saying this or that or whatever. And, and, and there's, there's hopes of restoring that relationship. Who needs you to persevere with them? To really go the long distance. Because love never fails. I know a man who is a retired police officer. And years and years and years ago, 
when he was stopping a criminal who was doing something. The guy was in the back seat of the car. And this guy was totally, totally wrong in what he did. And as this officer's driving the car, at one point he leans back and he says, Hey man, you should think about reading the Bible. Hey man, you should think about going to church. You know, this officer took, took this split second when it could have just been all about business. Could have been just all about getting, getting the guy locked up. But he took this second, this act of love, and he gave him some encouragement. You know, what he's saying to him is, hey, I believe you could change. I believe you could get your life back together. This same retired police officer on his last week, you can't make this stuff up, on the last week of work, he's driving around and as he's in his patrol car, in the last few days of his career as a police officer, this car pulls up next to him. And the guy starts like pointing at him. The guy starts like telling him to roll down his window. And as a police officer, that's got to kind of freak you out. You don't know what this guy wants to do, right? So he's telling him to kind of roll down his window and then he rolls down his window. And the guy says something to him about, hey, do you remember me? I was that guy. I was that guy who you told to read a Bible, who you told to go to church. And I did that and I'm clean and I'm free. And in this very quick exchange, what basically happened is this man was saying, God has changed my life. You see, that's what happens when you persevere. That's what happens when you hope. That's what happens when you trust. That's what happens when you step out of the boat and you do something radical and amazing. When you do some kind of act of love, that's what happens. Because here's what I know about unconditional love. You give somebody unconditional love and they will blossom. You give somebody unconditional love and they will blossom. Friends, for six hours, Jesus, absolutely naked on a cross, was breathing in and breathing out. Breathing in and breathing out. And at one point when he's on the cross, and you gotta, you gotta know this about the crosses. The crosses at eye level, they weren't these elevated crosses. They were at eye level. So you could see the people who were inflicting this pain on you. That at eye level, Jesus looks out and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He looks out to his mom and he says, Mom, John is now your son. And John, my mom is now your mom. He has conversations with people on the cross that even at this moment when he doesn't feel it at all, when he's broken, when he's feeling so empty, Jesus showed such unconditional love for the people around him and ultimately taking all of our cross, all of our rejection on him. He shows the greatest picture of unconditional love. You see, the greatest picture of unconditional love is painted on the cross. When Jesus gives up everything for us. Friends, may you go today to your neighbors, your family members, your coworkers, the people you hang out with on a regular basis. May you hope, trust, believe, show patience and kindness, knowing that God can change the world through one single act of love. And how cool that we get to be a part of that. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for an opportunity to look at your word and to remember that, that God, you are the God of love. 
and that you have invited us to love as you have loved. May we be those kind of people. May we invest all of our time, all of our energy in that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.